hello, Popheads, and welcome to issue 57 of 3Bzine Presents, the Tomcast Popcast, also known simply as Popcast. I'm your loving host. My name, it's Tom. Please follow the show on social media at Tomcast underscore Popcast on Twitter and at the Tomcast underscore Popcast on Instagram. Feel free to email the show at TomcastPopcast at gmail.com. And finally, you can join Pophead Nation at patreon.com forward slash Tomcast Popcast, where you can join the Pophead Nation for as little as $1 a month. Or you can join the Tier 1 level by donating $5 a month and get exclusive Patreon-only episodes. Coming this month for our Tier 1 members, Star Wars The Force Awakens. You get a, you're going to get an awesome essay and a commentary track. This episode is coming very, very soon. Thank you to our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody and the Squid Master General, Brian Broussard. All right, guys, we're a little behind on shows due to the long holiday weekend, and that is not cool on my part, but there was nothing to be done about it. I answer to a higher authority. Her name is Janine. Um, so in order to help kind of expedite the process of getting the shows out, uh, no fun audio clips included today from the show. Um, but that's okay. I think, we're, I think uh, if you watch the episode, you know, there, were, there weren't any great pearls of wisdom or, or, or you know, important nuggets of juiciness. So I, I, think, I think I don't feel too bad about having to skip out on them today, but it's going to save me some time in the editing process because I have a ton of shows to do. I'm two, I'm two episodes behind on The Watchmen. So I got to get those cranked out for everybody soon as well. All right. Uh, so I hope everyone had a a, a hap, ha, a, Excuse me. I hope everyone had a happy and safe Thanksgiving. But we're here to talk about what happened the day after Thanksgiving, and that was Chapter Four of The Mandalorian. Bum bum bum. Chapter Four, Sanctuary, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard the daughter of Ron Howard, director of Solo for anyone paying attention for Star Wars, written by, once again, John Favreau. Uh, it's important to mention that I liked a lot of aspects of this latest chapter. However, uh, it's, it's time to start asking some, some important questions. And, you know, these may be questions that have been kind of poking, at least for me, these are questions that have been kind of poking in the back of my brain for the last few weeks. Um, but now they're starting to become more prevalent. Like I, 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 we, started, we need to start getting a few answers here to a couple things. And, and one of the biggest questions right now, at least after this episode, is our Mandalorian hero thick in the bucket? That's a helmet joke, folks. We're going to ask this and more. But first, let's get to the breakdown. All right, this chapter opens on a small village of krill farmers. We see a mother and daughter out among the krill beds. And this is Omera and Winta. Winta is chasing after frogs and generally having a wonderful day when a familiar noise crashes to the ground and Klatooine raiders emerge from the forest to attack the village and steal the krill harvest and basically, you know, wreck the day. During the attack, Omera and Winta hide in the krill bed under a basket until the Klatooine... Jesus, I'm going to say this wrong all the time. It's Klatooinians, and I already said it wrong once. Klatuinian raiders return to the woods. All right, let's ask a question first. Who the heck are the Klatuinians? All right, well, in the new Disney canon, we're not quite 100% sure who they are, but in pre-Disney canon, uh, they were a subjugated people and often used by the Huts as muscle. You can see a few die in Return of the Jedi, at, mostly at the hands of Luke Skywalker. That's right, lightsabers, baby. 
yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> it was interesting to see the Klaatuinians uh, as as the kind of the heavies for this episode, and uh, even more um, uh, interesting to see them kind of in a uh, a you know low rent urukai makeup from uh, you know there's some kind of weird extras from Lord of the Rings. It, so that was interesting, but you know, much like a lot of the Mandalorian, we're evoking kind of a lot of familiarity from you know, the original Star Wars trilogy. You know, episodes four, five, and six. Uh, it seems fairly obvious from the setup of this episode, that th- of this chapter, that the story's going to end up being an homage to The Seven Samurai, which is another Kurosawa film, and that kind of for, sort of fits into what we've already already sussed out about this show in particular, that's kind of paying homage to a lot of the films that helped inspire Star Wars. You know, we, we mentioned A Hidden Fortress, another the, the original Kurosawa film that inspired uh, Lucas's original Star Wars story. And, you know, it, it, makes a t- it makes a certain amount of sense that The Seven Samurai... Uh, which was remade in America as the Magnificent Seven, would kind of fit right into this kind of Western motif that they're going for with the Mandalorian, kind of like the lone gunfighter, uh, but maybe not so alone for this episode at least. So, uh, again, kind of cool to see that, that little nod to the hat, little little or nod to the helmet in the in the Mandalorian's case, and uh, it, it fits right in with our roaming hero, our roaming hero, and of course, the ever adorable Baby Yoda. All right, so after that, bat- that battle in the village, we get the credit, you know, we get the opening scroll, the Mandalorian. All right, and then we join our story again as uh, exiting hyperspace and our heroes enter the picture. The Mando connects a scan of the planet below while Baby Yoda pushes his buttons on the Razor Crest that the Mandalorian would rather he did not. The planet below them is named Sorgon, possibly known for its alternatives to wheat. I think I got that right. A sufficiently backwater planet the Mando hopes will provide a good place to lay low. As they streak into the atmosphere, they fly over the village that we just saw raided. And after landing, the Mando tells Baby Yoda to stay with the ship and not to touch anything. As the landing wrap hits the surface of the planet, we see that Baby Yoda has no intention of staying on the ship. And it's adorable. They head out together for the nearby encampment. Not the same village from... The opening sequence is that he's not meeting up the crow farmer yet. This is a slightly bigger sort of uh, meeting place for, for travelers to go to. The, the encampment is some sort of tavern where locals meet to eat and drink. And uh, Baby Yoda, again, doing what he's done a lot of in the series, taking in the sights around him, including a loth cat that fans of uh, Star Wars Rebels will recognize that uh, snarls and kind of, uh, kind of snaps at little Baby Yoda. Which made me want to kill that 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 little cat right that loth cat right away. I was going to put that sucker down. You don't mess with Baby Yoda, baby. Not on my watch. As the Mando and Baby Yoda enter, the Mando catches sight of a of a formidable looking person surveilling them. Now the Mando assumes that she's a bounty hunter because after ordering a bowl of bone broth for Baby Yoda, the Mando sees that she's vanished and leaves Baby Yoda to track her. And again, he tells Baby Yoda to stay put. So the Mando goes outside, uh, he activates a, he, you know, hits a couple buttons on his wrist pad, activates a tracking sensor in, or a tracking mode in his, uh, in the, in the HUD of his, in the heads up display of his helmet, of his bucket. And we get to see him, uh, have like, a, it's almost like predator vision in a sense. He's tracking the heat of the footsteps of the, of the, of the female that he saw leave the, leave the tavern. A great fight scene occurs with, you know, vicious blow after vicious blow delivered by both opponents. 
And while I'm not going to do a blow-for-blow blow recap, it it, the fight eventually ends with both, opponent, with both opponents on the ground, blasters drawn point-blank, when suddenly both hear a slurping sound from off to the side. They turn to look and see the baby Yoda has followed with his bowl of bone broth and is just enjoying the spectacle of it all while slurping that delicious, delicious bone broth. All right, we have just been introduced to Cara Dune, played by Gina Carano. She's a former rebel shock trooper, which I don't think I'd heard that term before, I'll be perfectly honest with you. But now I want to know more about shock troopers because uh, Cara Dune and Gina Carano are totally badass. So uh, more, more please. Um, she turned into a deserter after the New Republic. Um, after the rise of the New Republic, basically, she, you know, she, was, she was part of the rebellion. She wanted to, to fight, to fight the Empire. And once the New Republic became a government, uh, she kind of got turned into a, a babysitter for politicians. She assumed the Mando was there for her. Uh, and she tells the Mando that it's time for him to move on because uh, she was hiding in the, on this planet first. At this point, our Star Wars story fully embraces the Kurosawa homage. Two locals from the Kuril village have finally tracked down the Mandalor Mandalorian as he prepares the Razor Crest to depart Sorgon. Initially, he declines to help as they cannot afford him. And uh, the villagers, as they're leaving, upset that they were unable to, to hire someone to help them with their predicament. Uh, he, they uh, mentions how remote their village is and it's going to take them all day to get back to it. This catches the ear of the Mando. Um, because this is an even better spot to lay low. So the Mando, tracking down Cara Dune, extends the offer that they can hide out together in this very remote krill fishing village. Also having Cara Dune is going to be a big help for him to deal with these Klaatunian raiders, okay? You know, he's, a, you know, he's not a one-man army. I mean, he kind of sort of is, but let's be honest. We've seen him get beat up by a lot of things so far. So he, he probably should get a little backup. All right, so Kara, the Mando, and Baby Yoda arrive in the village where they quickly make friends. Where I'm sorry, where Baby Yoda quickly makes friends with the other children. And the Mandalorian makes a connection with Omera, that widow that we met in the opening scene. And she seems to be rather familiar with Mandalorian customs. She offers to leave a plate of food for him off to the side so that once she leaves, he can take off his helmet and eat in peace. And uh, this scene's pretty interesting because we, we, we get to learn a few nuggets from our, our, from our Mandalorian hero. And we learn that uh, the Mando has worn his helmet since he was, you know, rescued by Mandalorians as a child. So we saw a little bit of that in the, in the previous chapter, you know, when the, when the Mando went back to the Enclave before he got his Beskar armor suit. We saw little Mandalorians running around with their helmets on. All right? Later on in the show... Um, well, through this scene, we, we come to realize that a Mandalorian cannot remove his helmet in the, in the presence of others, and that, that there are consequences for this. Now, there is, is a lot of contradiction, and uh, I guess contradiction is the best word I can, I'm going to leave it at. It, it's probably the most accurate, because in this new Disney Star Wars canon, you know, we've seen, we've seen Mandalore. We've been there on, on Star Wars, the Clone Wars series, and on the Star Wars Rebel series, we've been to Mandalore. We've seen Mandalorians, Mandalorian warriors. And they don't really seem to have much of an issue removing their helmets in front of anybody, let alone uh, people who are non-Mandalorians. So we're, we're starting to butt up against some of that history because we have been told since day one, once Disney bought, the, bought Lucasfilm and said they, they were wiping out 
all, all the books and, and comics and stuff from before the acquisition, that the first bits of, of new canon that are in stone is Star Wars The Clone Wars and the animated series Star Wars Rebels. And so we have to take that at, at their word. So where is this coming from? You know, again, this might be another case of them, of them, and what, when I say them, I mean, I mean the executives over on, on The Mandalorian and at Disney, particularly probably John Favreau and, and Dave Filoni, they're going even further back into the, 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 the mythos that was sort of developed uh, early on about The Mandalorians in, in comics and, and other short stories and stuff like that. In, in several stories involving Boba Fett, um, when in the presence of others, the Mandalorian had to go do th- go through extraordinary steps not to uh, take his helmet off in in order to um, not blend in necessarily, but to if he wanted to have you know hiking through the desert and he needed a sip of water, there was, he had like some kind of special like straw thingy because he couldn't take his helmet off in front of Dengar or whatever. It's uh, it, like I said, it goes back to some of the old mythology of the characters where. That, that that was centered around Boba Fett in particular, but that was all pre prequels. This is all before George Lucas came up to the plate and said, "Hey, by the way, I'm going to make episodes one, two, and three now. It's happening." And you know, you guys all remember episode two. We we meet Jango Fett, and Jango Fett is a dude who has no problem with his bucket off in front of people. So a lot of that stuff kind of was like, "What? Well, what's that all about?" So I mean. And, but th- that's how it works when you're when you're licensing like when you're licensing a property, and you're you're trying to build an expanded universe. But then the creator of that expanded universe comes in and says, "No, no, no, I'm doing this," and so you got to kind of you got you have to kind of adapt and and fold it in in different ways and and kind of make it work as best as you can. But you also have to acknowledge the fact that 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 very same creator could come in and do the same exact thing and screw you over all over again. It's it's complicated to to licensed properties and, and to make any impactful changes in, in the canon. But to the, star, to the people who worked on the Star Wars Expanded Universe in that canon, credit to them, a lot of them rolled with it, you know, and they, and they tried their best. So this is kind of a throwback to pre-prequel Mandalorian lore. How's that going to fold in with what we've seen from Star Wars Rebels, from Star Wars The Clone Wars? Um, I don't know. You know, is this... Are these Mandalorians that we're following, is this Mandalorian and that enclave that we've seen, are they some kind of isolated faction? You know, there are parts in, in this episode where, where the Mandalorians are referred to as a tribe. So is this a very separate tribe from what we've seen come before? Right now we're just inferring, and it's, it's kind of hard to say with any certainty what direction they're going to go in. But these are one of the things we have to kind of start getting a little bit more clarity on. Uh, and if that's not in this season, then... Hopefully it'll be in season two, which apparently is in... I, I have to double-check. I'm not 100% sure if they are in production or pre-production right now. But season two is a go, and they're moving ahead with things. So we're going to... you know, Hopefully we get answers this season, or at least some answers to kind of explain a little bit more. I'm okay with you teasing it out. You, know, you don't have to give it to us all in a giant spoonful that we have to process over weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, Tease it out a little bit, but just start giving us something here. Because uh, right now there's a lot of guessing going on. Okay, so at this point we get uh, we get the Mando and Cara Dune reconning in the forest, uh, tra- attempting to track down the Clatoonian raiders, and uh, you know kind of get an idea of their numbers, their strengths, where they are in relation to the village, things like that. 
Uh, it's at this point that uh, uh, Dune and, and, and the Mando discover that the, the Raiders have um, the equivalent of, of a weapon of mass destruction on their side because they find the footprints of that very familiar sound that opened the show. They have a footprint of the ATST, the All Terrain Scout Trooper, also known as, affectionately known as, the Chicken Walker. So they go back to the village and they attempt to tell the villagers that uh, this is fucking hopeless because nobody has anything on this planet that's going to penetrate the armor of that ATST. But those of us who've watched Return of the Jedi know that if a bunch of Ewoks can take it down, I'm, I got good money on the Mandalorian and a former uh, Rebellion shock, shock trooper as well. So the villagers reply that they, they tell them, they think, we're not going anywhere. Fuck off. This is our village. We're not leaving. So the next plan, the Mandalorian was like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll train you to fight. Let's see what happens. And we'll come up with a plan to deal with that ATSD. So questions coming out of this is, how do a bunch of uh, Klaatuinian raiders have an ATSD? I, you know, at this point, the Empire's in, in tatters across the galaxy. Uh, it's possible that uh, some Imperial warlord is, is selling off, you know, Im- Imperial assets to, to gain funds, to fund uh, his own lifestyle or to find, fund some kind of something else that we are not aware of, fund his army, fund some kind of revolution somewhere. And they're, they're doing that by selling weapons. I mean, we've heard of this in the real world. It's not uncommon. Uh, it's also possible that this is that this is uh, some kind of salvage that perhaps there was an imperial battle on on Sorgan, and this is a, a remnant of that battle. And the the Klaatuinians were able to to get that thing working. Maybe it wasn't in that bad of shape overall. It, it's unknown, or or perhaps there was a, uh, a old imperial base that they just the the empire just walked away from it, left a bunch of gear there. Who knows? It's not explained, and that's kind of a bummer because I'm kind of curious about it personally, but. We'll take it for what it is. They have a ATST. Now, maybe this will play into the the more grand plot of the of the story. Now, now remember, we are in chapter four of an eight chapter season one, and we still haven't met uh, the Giancarlo Esposito's character yet, who we know is supposed to be like kind of like the heavy of the season. At least that was the way he was sort of billed. So I'm curious if he is perhaps the warlord who is selling assets to to pirates and to raiders and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. That's speculation. And we have plenty of time for speculation later on. All right, so after a fun training montage in which we learn that O'Mara is somehow, some way, a crack shot, um, Mando and Dune infiltrate the Klaatuine comp. Uh, <laughs> comp. <laughs> Mando and Dune infiltrate the Klaatuine uh, compound. And it doesn't go as smooth as planned, and it leads to another fun fight scene, this time with the Mando and Cara Dune teamed up, and they have to blast their way out of the camp, which is when uh, the ATSD gets fired up and chases them back to the village, which is kind of what they want, because that is where the trap for the ATSD awaits. Uh, it's a very... Seeing the ATSD get fired up is really cool, because they do a nice job of... Uh, they illuminate the cockpit of the ATSD in a, in a red light, and it, it looks like it gives the ATSD these red, like demonic eyes. Um, and I thought it was a very cool little touch because whenever we've seen the ATSD or the Chicken Walker uh, being deployed by the Empire in in Empire Strikes Back or in Return of the Jedi, it, it's it's in the it's in daytime battles. 
So it was kind of cool to see it in in this night light, you know, where you, you get those that 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 optical effect of it has red eyes. It was very very neat. All right, so battle ensues and the villagers fight and they fight uh, surprisingly well. I'll be honest, it's one of the more PG rated battles uh, I've seen in the Star Wars universe in a while. Um, and uh, they ultimately prevail after after. Mando and Kara are able to eventually get that ATSC to step into their trap. I'm not going to elaborate too much on all that stuff. You know, fight scenes are fun. I don't need to give you a blow-by-blow. Blow. You you more likely watch the episode, because if not, I'm ruining it for you already. So I hope to God you've watched the episode. And that's the bulk of the episode. So life in the village returns to normal in the weeks following the battle. And Baby, Baby Yoda remains as cute as ever with his new friends. And this is where we get that line about about uh, about the Mandalorian helmets and the consequences for for removing it. In a conversation with with Cara Dune, uh, she's sort of urging the Mandalorian to stay here with the farmers and 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 have a happy life with Omera, who seems to be really digging that Mandalorian mystery vibe that he's got going on. Um, so she asks, like, "What's the deal? Like, why can't he take that helmet off?" And the Mandalorian says that you know, once removed, Mando cannot put it back on ever, ever again. And uh, Dune just kind of like shrugs it off. I was like, whatever, that's dumb. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I suppose we're supposed to get the impression here that the Mando's actually considering like hanging it all up and staying here, you know. And, but he has other plans, and and he tells Kara after after that conversation that his his plan is to leave Baby Yoda. And as he's announcing this plan, we cut to the forest, and we see that familiar tracking fob once again. And a new bounty hunter looks like, possibly looks like another Kubaz, by the way, the long-snouted ones who we have seen in A New Hope and then we saw in the first episode of The Mandalorian. This kind of, this bounty hunter has tracked them down. Now, as The, as the Mandalorian is uh, sort of saying his goodbyes to Omera and, and letting her know his plan to leave Baby Yoda with them, you know, obviously he's very distracted by this, I, I, I guess, this sort of, like, heartfelt moment where Omera is trying to convince him to stay, and she's attempting to slowly remove his helmet, and, she, you know, it looks like maybe he'll let her for, you know, a fraction of a second, where he's like, nah, not gonna happen, lady. That's not my vibe. And, um... So he's distracted. He's not paying attention. Clearly, the Mandalorian's eyes are no longer on the prize, as, as you know, protecting the most important thing in the history of everything, which is Baby Yoda. So we cut back to that, that bounty hunter. This guy's a, he's got a sniper blaster, sniper rifle blastery thing, trained at first on the Mandalorian. But, you know, what are the odds that's going to that's make it through that, that Besker helmet of his? Mm, not so good. Then, in the most horrible thing we've seen on this show, the sniper scope is placed directly on Baby Yoda. And my heart goes into a vice grip. This cannot be. This cannot be. The sound of a blast is fired, and it's heard all the way in the village. But no blaster bolt emerges from the woods. Cardoon has shot the bounty hunter in the back and saved Disney from millions of people setting fire to the world if something bad were to happen to Baby Yoda. Now the arrival of the bounty hunter quickly removes the Mando's head from his ass 
And uh, he decides that, hey, you know what? Maybe this ain't such a fucking good idea after all. Maybe it's time for us both to split. You're, you're, you go back to your krill because the, the bounty hunters know we're here, which is the first smart thing he's done in a while. <laughs> okay, maybe not in a while, but you know what I mean? Come on, man. You can't be Baby Yoda. What are you, what are you thinking? What are you thinking, sir? I question you now. So our heroes, they say, they say goodbye to the villagers. Uh, Baby Yoda has a tearful... Baby Yoda doesn't cry, but the, the, the kids, the children are sad to see Baby Yoda go. And the Mando leaves with his eyes forward as Baby Yoda looks back on the village as they pull away on their hover cart. And Baby Yoda, adorable as ever. If you're not in love with Baby Yoda, I don't know what you're even doing here. Why are you listening to this show? This show is pro-Baby Yoda all the way. And that's it. That's the end of chapter four. So now it's time for those questions we need to be asking. And this is a question I sort of, we, we sort of talked about it a little bit last week, but we have to pick it up again because it would be nice if the tracking fobs were explained a little bit better. How do these things work? Are they picking up some kind of tracking device? Is Baby Yoda got a tracker in him? Because if that's the case, maybe the Mandalorian should figure out how to get that the fuck out of him because that might help save them from some potential problems down the road. You know, or is it something, something else? And which is, and, or is it something else, something a little bit more elaborate, more Star Warsian, I suppose? Um, it, you know, is, is the trackers, are they keyed to Baby Yoda's DNA or his genetic sequence or something like that? Um, because there has to be a reason why they're able to find him relatively easily. And, you know, what are the limitations of the tracking devices? Because, obviously, if you're leaving that planet, if these bounty... Let's assume this bounty hunter came from the same planet that Boba Fett fled from with Baby Yoda. Now, based off the, off the Mandalorian's point of entry into hyperspace, you probably can calculate the uh, probable destinations. But we don't know if that's where this guy's from. We don't know if that's what he's done. So I, I wish they would kind of explain at least a little bit better how the tracking fobs work, what they're keyed to, what their range is. Do you have to be in the general vicinity of the planet for that thing to start pinging? You know, or, I mean, or do, can you just like hop around and it's just going to, you know, start feeding information? You know, we, we, we gleaned a little bit of information back in episode two that the tracking fobs at least are providing some kind of real-time data because that group of Trendershans were able to track down the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda as they were on the move you know, across that planet, you know, when they were traveling beneath the surface there in those little canyons. Um, I guess I just want a little bit more clarity on how this thing's working. And because, you know, the Mandalorian as a bounty hunter maybe should have some counter solutions for how to, how to, how to deal with the tracking situation. Just a thought. Which leads to another question about the Mandalorian's smartness. Because why would the Mandalorian assume that Baby Yoda could possibly be safe anywhere? Especially if these fobs are as, as helpful as they seem to be. Um, the, the, the notion that he, that he seems to believe that Baby Yoda would be safe on Sorgan as, as, as a member of this krill farming, uh, you know, tribe of villager, village, I suppose. Not tribe, villagers. Um, it's, I don't know, it seems like a bit of a leap. It seems like all of a sudden, despite the the effort that the Mandalorian went through in Chapter 3 to rescue Baby Yoda, 
now it seems like he's ready to be done with it, and it's a little bothersome to me. And you know, again, it's 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 just kind of bumping up against me. I, I he, you make this choice, you make the sacrifice, and now you're just trying to ditch the kid. I get it, you want to keep the kid safe, but why do you think that's going to be the, the destination? Obviously, these tracking fobs are back working again, and people can find him. So I don't know. Again, this is why I need more information about the the, the radius, the range of that tracking fob, because I don't understand why he could possibly think that kid was going to be safe if he just leaves him there. Eventually, at some point, somebody's going to come across him and kill him and collect the bounty, and the Mandalorian would be, would be nowhere to be found. So, uh, yeah, he needed uh, the Mandalorian needed a little bit of a kick in the ass on, on some certain things in this episode. And uh, hopefully we can put this whole, I need to find someone to take over for me as the protector of this child. Fuck that. We know what this show is. Let's stay in our lane here, okay? Let's not try to, like, farm out responsibility for Baby Yoda. You are the one. You found him in the first episode. You rescued him in the third episode. Let's move on. You're just the kiss protector. That's how it's going to be. All right? Deal with it. And now I think we have to ask the most important question. Are we going to have to watch Baby Yoda die or get killed or something else equally horrific? I, I hate contemplating this. It makes me so upset. <laughs> I I, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I, but you have to. You also have to ask yourself some questions about the Star Wars timeline at this point. You know, we're five years post Return of the Jedi. The Force Awakens is 27 years after these events. You would think that a Force powerful being who looks a heck of a lot like Yo, uh, Yoda might be interested in the comings and goings of the Resistance and the and the the First Order. And, and, and these sort of things going on in the galaxy. So, yes, I get it. This show take, it, it w- was made well after The Force Awakens. But, I mean, what, is Baby Yoda going to swoop in and rise a Skywalker and save everybody? So we have to ask ourselves, like, maybe that's because there is no Baby Yoda to save everybody. And that, that's so unsettling. It, it's, it's, it's very unsettling to me. You know, obviously we have this, you know, the last movie was... The Last Jedi. Now we have the Rise of Skywalker. Baby Yoda does not seem to factor into these events whatsoever. Now, is that just because perhaps Baby Yoda's out and hiding somewhere? Laying low with the Mandalorian, living a happy life? You know, by this point, he's probably like in the equivalent... You know, I, you know again, tracking Yoda ages is, is difficult at best, but uh, he'd be a young preteen Yoda at this point. You know, maybe he's getting a, getting a, a, a taste for pizza and uh, video arcades. Or is that just my childhood? Sorry. Just transposing on that. It bears consideration. And the, the, the thing I'm, I think I'm most concerned about as, as far as the fate of Baby Yoda is, is, is he going like, to do a, a self-sacrificing kind of thing in order to save the Mandalorian at the, in either the, the climax of this season or you know, at some point in the future? I mean, we, we've seen that Baby Yoda can wield the Force, but it takes a lot out of him so far, especially at this young age. Just, uh, just picking up that mud horn uh, exhausted him. So are we going to see something on the scale of Luke's sacrifice in, in The Last Jedi where he basically just put all his effort and energy into that force projection in order to save the Resistance? 
is this going to be a case like that? Like, is Baby Yoda going to sacrifice himself to save the Mandalorian? Um, I, I don't know how I would do with that. I honestly don't. Uh, that would, uh, <laughs> you know, I love a good noble sacrifice, but uh, of, of, a, of, of a child doing it would be uh, particularly heart-wrenching. But I'm, and I'm starting to be concerned that that's what they're going for here. That they, they, they want to pull our heartstrings. They want to crush us um, and, and, and make us cry. <laughs> and, I, and I won't be able to handle it. I really, really won't. It's going to... Uh, there, it will be a dark day on this podcast if Baby Yoda ever dies. In fact, uh, it would probably just be me drinking heavily... I wouldn't even have beer. I would I would move straight to the hard stuff. We, we we'd be on to to bourbon or or possibly even scotch, and it would just be me, openly sobbing, into a microphone, for at least forty five minutes. That's that's not a threat. That that would actually be what happens. I'm I'm pretty sure. Ah, uh, boy. So dark dark questions. Let let's hope it doesn't come to that with Baby Yoda. Let's hope that maybe I'm reading this wrong, because I hope to God that I am. But let's also hope that the Mandalorian gets his head out of his ass, because, yeah, I don't need any more of these, these, uh, I'm going to find someone to take the kid and protect him so I can go back to being a rogue man of mystery. Dude, you broke the guild's code. You're a wanted man, too. They're not just going to let you back into the guild. Like you're, you probably have a bounty on your own head as well at this point, so I'm waiting to kind of see if that shakes out any further. <sighs> Again, we're four, we're four, we're four chapters into an eight chapter first season, so we're at the halfway point. We finished the halfway point. We're now in the back half of the season. Let's see what's going to happen next. There's there, there, a lot could happen, a lot could not happen. So far, it's been an enjoyable ride. Like I said, I I did not. Unenjoyed this episode. I did not hate this episode. I I actually enjoyed the episode quite a bit. But those questions are are, are starting to become um, bigger bigger things to think about. And if you guys have any thoughts on those topics or any any answers, you know what to do. Find me on the social media at Tomcast underscore Popcast on Twitter at the Tomcast underscore Popcast on Instagram. Tomcast Popcast at Gmail Let me know. Tell me what's up. Because I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I don't think the show is going to be, become bad, just for the record. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm, I'm mostly just concerned about Baby Yoda's fate. <laughs> I really am. Uh, but we got, again, we got four episodes left. The, the schedule stays pretty consistent before that, that gap around, uh, around Christmas time. And I think it's, it might actually be a gap right around the time of uh, Rise of Skywalker. You know, trying to give people some time to go see that flick. So maybe Baby Yoda does save the day, and they ask why they have to space out the episodes. I mean, I read it wrong. Baby Yoda's going to save everybody. He's going to show up in the Razor Crest and drop a bomb on Emperor Palpatine's head, and it's going to be amazing. Can you imagine Baby Yoda with, like, a Mandalorian bucket on his head, his little green ears sticking out the sides of it? Be phenomenal. Be so worth it. Oh, make that action figure. Come on! People will buy it. All right. Clearly, I'm rambling at this point. Let's wrap it up. Thank you once again to 
all you guys who have been listening to these Mandalorian episodes, they are an absolute treat for me to do. And I uh, want to continue doing them for you guys. So, so please keep listening. And if you don't want to listen, just download them. That's fine, too. It's okay. I won't know the difference. And, okay, so I just gave you guys the social media. So let me thank my current Patreon members, the Aspen Hill Chody and the Squidmaster General, Brian Broussard. And if you want to become a member of Pophead Nation, just like those lovely individuals, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast, where you can join Pophead Nation a buck a month, Get you, in the, get you in the door. You're a member of Pophead Nation. Right on. Or, if you feel like uh, kicking a little bit more, five bucks a month gets you into that tier one level, gets you the special bonus episodes of the show. And as I mentioned before, this month you're going to be getting The Force Awakens. And this is going to come with a essay and a commentary track for the film. And I'm going to have that out before Rise of Skywalker hits theaters. So we'll be able to start kind of discussing the the J.J. Abrams take on, on the Star Wars universe. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So head on over, sign up now, patreon.com forward slash TopCastPopCast. All right, guys. Again, thanks so much for listening. We, we got a ton of episodes to get through in the, in the next week or two. I got to get caught up on Watchmen, but the Mandalorian episodes are going to keep coming as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. Ciao, babes. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year. We're the Stanley Cup champion!